for me, I have to be very clear. I'll make a distinction between being unsheltered mm. and notions of, of, of homelessness. Mm. Nobody should be unsheltered in our culture, but we all experience certain degrees of homelessness. You're listening to Illogical by Truth. This podcast decodes the language, decisions, and hidden areas of local power that often seems illogical to residents. The goal of this podcast is to empower people to engage locally and to understand how significant it is to be aware and active at the local level. Once local government is logical, it will become meaningful and provide the benefits that allows for people to live a thriving life. And so today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Thomas Berry, who is at the University of NC State um, and in the College of Design and the School of Architecture. He is the Director of Affordable Housing and Sustainable Communities Initiative. Um, so I'm excited to delve into a conversation around home and inversely homelessness. And so welcome again, Dr. Barry, to the podcast. Glad to have you. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. So the hot topic in our communities across the country is housing. And most people care the world about their homes. And it's a deeply personal aspect. But I found that most individuals can't tell me why. And so when I had a chance to speak with you, this is what you do. <laughs> you wrote the book on this very thing. And so uh, you, you committed your life um, and your research to understanding housing. Why? Why is that? Why, what, what part of your story led you to focus on homes? Well, there's a number of uh, different aspects of why I have been led to dedicate a good portion of my career to uh, to housing and to questions around around home. Um, first of all, I have a longstanding research interest in the built environment as a as a cultural artifact. Mm -hmm. We understand our culture through the material artifacts that it produces, and the built environment being a predominant cultural artifact uh, for me is always uh, offered a potent means to both shine a light on the culture that produced it while also reflecting that culture. It works both ways. Um, and uh, so I've written quite extensively about uh, predominant cultural outputs throughout uh, history, which just so happened to be mostly religious architecture. You mm. think about the history of architecture, books on the history of architecture, how often are they religious yes. buildings? Yes. You think about Egyptian culture. That's right. right. And what do we see? We see religious buildings or buildings that are mm. were closely associated with the uh, you know the, the 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 cultural religious uh, 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 setting of its of its time, and uh, so I've written a number of books uh, directed at that uh, at that subject, and as I was working 
on that subject, it just became clear to me how often home was was coming up. So that's one part of it. The other uh, part of it is that uh, I discovered quite early on in my teaching career that housing was a neglected subject mm. in schools of architecture. Really Much has been uh, commented and even written about that. Why is that so? It used to be a popular studio project, mm. design multifamily housing, um, but uh, it it really disappeared in many ways in schools of architecture. I'm the kind of person who likes to <laughs> fill in gaps, and uh, and so I, uh, I when I began my first teaching uh, job, my first uh, tenure track, you know, permanent yes. teaching job, which was in Detroit mm. uh, at Lawrence Tech, I immediately started teaching teaching housing. Oh. I can't couldn't have told you then why, but I was clearly drawn. Uh, drawn to it. And what I discovered is that teaching housing is a great way to teach design wow. because of how much gets packed into okay. the design of housing, including the cultural baggage that we all bring to it. Wow. And so then the third thing is my uh, uh, my, my, my socially activist side. Mm. My uh, my <laughs> my feeling of responsibility uh, to do my little part to try to create a more equitable, fair, and better world, and recognizing that housing is at the center of that. You know what's fascinating to me? I spent time in the activist world, and a bulk of the issues hinge on housing, or the lack of housing. Most people say it's food or what about housing. You talk about housing and you activate, you know, an audience to a level of engagement that you wouldn't get on other issues. But when you ask that audience around the definition of housing, you get a variety of different answers. And so since you've written a book that really takes us through the story, I would love to get your sort of definition of home or, 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 or a house. And, and in your book, you describe the, the, the time in the womb, and then you describe sort of home as a concept of earth itself. Um, what does it mean to you? It's, it, it has a much broader definition over time in history. What does, what does home mean to you? Yeah, well, I mean, we inhabit, right, mm. inhabit a number of homes. I actually write about uh, three homes in a way. Wow. Uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, and that's addition to the first home of the womb. Wow. You know, we have our body. Right? Yes. You know, this, this. This body, you know, in the Christian context, the body-soul uh, relationship. Uh, so we have our body, and uh, we have our physical shelter mm. of the home, right? Mm. And then we have a home in the world. Mm -hmm. And they're all related and often in tension as, mm. uh, as well. And uh, our homes have actually been described as uh, our third skin, mm. right? that, uh, that we have our skin, right, of yes. our bodies, yes. right? We wear clothing, mm. 
that expresses who we are, hmm. right? Uh, and, uh, and the relationship we have with our bodies. And then our third skin is our home, really where we similarly broadcast really what we value, who we are within the culture in which we live. Mm. Typically, how we fit into that culture, but not, not always. So that's one one aspect uh, of it, and the other thing is is in terms of definition of uh, of home is uh, home is our hub. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take you know a, a whole lot of reflection yeah. to think about our daily lives and see how much home is that place that we are always leaving, but always coming mm. back to. Our lives radiate out from, from home. Mm. And it's where, of course, many of the major events of our life take place. But also, it's, it's that feeling of being home, right? Mm. That's, home is a physical place, but it's also a feeling. Um, and that relates in some ways to the three kind of realms of home that I described earlier. Yeah. We feel at home when we feel at ease mm. in our bodies, in our domicile, in this big world that we've been mysteriously thrown That's into. Uh, that is the ultimate homecoming. Mm. that uh, one reads about in, in literature, where you come home to yourself, you come home mm. to the world at large in a place of reconciliation. Mm. You know, my, my, my earliest journey in, in life, my earliest memories are often embedded in the home we lived in at that time. So my great-grandmother, she was a single mother who would clean homes for a family up north. She lived in the Carolinas, so she went up north to find work, and she would bring up a kid at a time. Mm. She would bring up a kid at a time. And uh, her name, we we were only allowed to call her Nene. We couldn't do <laughs> An that. honorific <laughs> name. Only Appropriately <laughs> so. And she was uh, was working. She would bring up a kid at a time. And then the family that she was cleaning the homes for, taking care of their home, they said, you need a house for your kids. You can't keep moving from apartment to apartment. You need a house for So they put the down payment on that home. It's on, it's on Oxonia, 123 Oxonia Avenue in New Jersey. Now, that home is a symbol of our entire family now. So that's the big mama's house. So Thanksgiving, we would go, and that's yeah. where everybody would travel to, 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 to Thanksgiving. Everybody would travel for Christmas. Um, that's where I began to meet family. You knew that that was the destination. That home, to this day, both my great-grandmother and my grandmother are no longer here, and that home, to this day, we call it Nana's house. Yeah. Right to this day. Yeah. To this day, it is the center of our world. And my memory is positioned there where I can tell you what was happening in each portion of the house. I can tell you about the dog that was in the backyard. So home to us 
was embedded in our culture because the kitchen meant something. You weren't allowed to go in the kitchen and then it was making. So it had all these sort of cultural meanings. And I remember my mom purchased her first house. And my mom was deeply rooted in faith. And she had the wallpaper that said, in this house, we will serve the Lord. That's what the wallpaper was saying. <laughs> in this house, we will serve the Lord. So in your, in your book, you weave in and out of this concept of home, both in the sacred scriptures, in philosophy with Plato. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this idea of home binding us together. So, so I, I thought that this home was an American ideal. My, my nana made it. My mother made it. You know, they got their home. Is this exclusively an American idea to be obsessed with homes um, and inversely homelessness? Why did you see that trend in American culture? And what should we see in the broader world culture around homes? Well, first of all, I really appreciate your 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 recollections of your Nana's house. Yeah. <laughs> it's very beautiful uh, because these are such important parts of our lives. Mm. I'm sure that, uh, say if I say to you, kitchen, mm. what do you think of? I, I remember in later life of my, 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 grand, my great-grandmother, she was still trying to cook, but her memory was in and out. Yeah. And what I remember the most is that I was trying to help her cook. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I could make spaghetti. I think I could make yeah. spaghetti. So I was making spaghetti, and she took me to school on how to, on how to make the ground meat. So I can yeah. remember that moment of her saying, "Oh, this is not done," and she pulling out all these seasonings, and she's. And I remember it like it like I mean, clear as day. I can tell you, I can tell you how tall I was. I can tell you how tall she was. But she was making this meal, and she was, and in my mind, I was I was learning from the great. This was this was Chef Ramsay. I was from the great, but I can. And when you say kitchen, that immediately I can remember that. Like so you see what just happened. Mm. I just said kitchen, mm. and all these this flood of memories come up. That's good. Um, you know, you're remembering something that you know, not only is important to you, mm. but was part of how you That's were good. starting to construct who you are, That's right? Good. We all do this. Um, and uh, you think about, you know, how important that setting was mm. because of its, the role mm. that that kitchen, that house was asked to play. Mm. See, that's the important thing. You know, that's often good. in the type of research I do, uh, people talk about, well, this means this, this mm. means that. And I don't, I haven't always been uncomfortable with that because it somehow makes artifacts autonomous objects yeah. that mean this and mean that, right? Yeah. No, we assign meaning to wow, that and good. we construct meaning. That's, that's what humans do because we're always trying to make sense of things. And as we're constructing ourselves, we look to others mm. and where they are and how closely they are associated with place mm. creates such a potent uh, setting. And that, in part, is why these memories of home um, can be so enduring. Mm. 
and they can they can occur in our dreams, right? Mm. We say, ah, I was in, you know, Nana's house yes. last night, yes. or I was in a strange house, mm. but she was there, right? Mm. These yes, kind of yes. things in which we're in our unconscious, where. We're, we're, we're playing with these yes. things. Could yes. she be in a different house? We're playing with mm. this, right? Uh, and in that way, trying to get around uh, some deeper understanding. For a number of years, I, I uh, remember my dreams quite well and write them down. And there was, this was some time ago, for a period of time, I noticed I had this recurring dream that I was in a stranger's house mm. without their permission. Wow. And uh, it was always a different house. Mm. And I was slightly anxious about that. Right? What if I get caught? Uh, mm. I really shouldn't be here. But nothing ever happened like yes. that. Uh, and the only thing, you know, and I've reflected on it, and there were a couple of things that I thought was going on. First of all, well, why a house? Mm. Well, houses where we construct identity. That's good. Right? And clearly I was uh, exploring some feelings of alienation, mm. perhaps, being homeless. Mm. I can't find my home. At the period of time, I was much younger. Yes. That's, that's yep. quite logical, yep. right? Because we leave our childhood home. Yep. And there's a period of time when we don't, we haven't created That's what right. we call our own home. That's right. And then the other thing with a dream like that, I thought, it kind of said something about my willingness yes. to step out of my home mm. and explore new ways of, of being. That's good. Right? So, and, you know, as we, we can't talk about home Right and homeliness, mm. right? All these wonderful <laughs> words. I mean, we there's so many words in the English language that have home and connotations of home, homecoming. Mm. Right? How about home plate? Mm. You know, you got to get those runners right. home, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, even on the internet, right? Yes. You hit the home button, <laughs> right? You got to get home. That's the center. That's where it all starts. That's good. Right? That's good. But homelessness mm. is, is the obverse mm. and is always there. Mm. Right? And, you know, I think for me, I have to be very clear. I'll make a distinction between being unsheltered mm. and notions of, of, of homelessness. Mm. Nobody should be unsheltered in our culture, but we all experience certain degrees of homelessness. And it, it, and it is presented throughout religions yeah. ubiquitously. Yeah. Uh, think of David in the Psalms. How long, O oh Lord, will you That's hide good. yourself from me? Right? An absolute estrangement from That's the good. world. I am alone here, That's and good. you will not reveal yourself That's to good. me. Right? This, That's good. And, uh, and you also, though, find um, in the East some real virtues of homelessness. Mm. Right? The Buddha, the story of the Buddha, is mm. one where he leaves his home <laughs> deliberately 
in his late 20s. Mm. He has a beautiful wife. He's got his first son. He's mm. the son of a rich king. Wow. He's set up for life. Late 20s, he gets yes. dissatisfied. Wow. Go figure. Wow. Right? And journeys off, he deliberately becomes homeless. Wow. And in search of enlightenment, which he eventually attains, according yes. to Buddhist scripture. And one of the things he is quoted as saying is, builder of the house, wow. I have destroyed you. Wow. How about that, right? Wow. It's the absolute, he sets out to destroy that wow. house, to be liberated, wow. you know, to be enlightened. Wow. You, you, know, you know, Malcolm X took a trip to Mecca, and he had a very uh, uh, American view of race relations prior to that trip. So he left home and took a trip. When he came back, he was enlightened to the complexities of skin that worshiped the same God with the same dedication, the same focus, the same, and, and, it, and for him, it, it, it had him question this notion of this binary black and white, but it took him leaving home and then coming back with this view that is uh, much more broader and filled with um, some levels of hope in his American context. But it also brings me to this, to, to this question of why do we think we own the idea of home, the American dream, the, you know, like it, it, it seems like it's a, a very American idea to say that this is what I will attain one day. But when I read your book, it's like all through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The American dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 which uh, we can examine those two words. Yeah. Uh, but let me turn to your mentioning of Malcolm X making the Hajj to, yeah. to, to Mecca. And uh, because pilgrimage has, uh, you know, occur throughout all world religions, yeah. every major religion has pilgrimage routes, pilgrimage destinations, and so forth for a variety of reasons. And... Um, Joseph Campbell, the religious historian, wrote about what he called the hero's journey. Ah. And there were four stages of the hero's journey. One was departure. Mm. One was the journey along the path. The mm. third was the attainment of the destination. Yes. Yes. And the fourth, and this relates to uh, uh, Malcolm X's highs, is the return with the wisdom you have gained along the wow. way. Wow. And, and, you know, the Hajj is wonderful. It's all, it's, it's all the stripping wow. of your home. Wow. You, there's all sorts of ritual, you know, proscriptions, you know, ritual proscriptions of, uh, you know, for men, yes. shaving, washing, wow. putting on uh, different clothes, wow. etc. all choreographed uh, rituals. And these are all designed to, to place you, mm. or one might say, throw you, mm. cast you into a new world where new worlds become accessible. And uh, so the, the recollection of Malcolm X are perfect. Wow. He, it changed him. Wow. And he came back and he was different. That's good. That's good. Yeah, and, I, and I, I think for this conversation, I would love to 
understand how should we see our view of home in America in the context of the world? Yeah. Well, the first thing I think for me, and that that is in some ways what precipitated the writing of of the book. I got you. Uh, was finding what I thought to be a fruitful path to unpacking certain aspects of our culture. And it really came out of uh, experiences of, uh, of presenting at public meetings mm. around housing and noticing how angry people could get, wow. how threatened they could feel, wow. how important they took these conversations, yes. how deeply embedded uh, notions of home and house yes. were in their psyches and in the communities in which I, uh, in which I worked. And so I just, I said, why is this? Wow. I have, and then the other part of it, and I ask, always ask this of my students too, and, and, uh, um, and, you know, it's a question, you know, I could ask of you too. Yes. Do you ever wonder mm. Why our built environment looks the way it does. Mm. When you drive uh, um, you know, out into North Raleigh right. on a big wide road right. uh, that seems to have very gentle turning yes. radiuses into uh, subdivisions yes. and strip malls and so forth that are ubiquitous. Yes. Uh, they seem familiar to us, and there's a good reason mm. for that. They're very consistent. And uh, it, like anything, we're in the soup of our culture, and yes. that, in our built culture as well, and so it does take a little bit of work to step back just a little bit yes. and say, what's going on yes. here? Yes. Why does this look this way? And why is there so much you know, kind of talk and literature and passion around home, our homes, our houses. Mm. You know, you realize that, you know, when houses go on the market, they're not marketed as houses. No. You good. can buy a home that's good. in a community. That's good. Right? Because that's, that's good. what people are looking for. That's good. Home in a community. That's good. And, uh, so let's let's just unpack this for a sec. So, um, if you look around Wake County, yeah. Wake County is uh, predominantly single-family zoned. Yeah. Raleigh is almost sixty percent right. single-family zoned, uh, and so there's one thing right there. Yeah. Why does it look the way it does? Well, because we have laws in place That's that right. guide development. That's right. We can only build single-family houses That's in. Right places that are zoned for single-family houses, right. and, and nothing else can be built there. Right? Right. So now that's one thing. You start saying, well, what about all these laws? Maybe mm -hmm. I should look at those, Maybe. and which I've done in teaching yeah. housing. But then you say, well, but where do these laws come from? Yeah, why, did yeah. we, why did we end up you know, doing this? Where did this ideal of the American dream come from? Really All right, so if you look around at these subdivisions, you start to say, they all seem to have very consistent names. That's They're right. either describing 
kind of pastoral country-like things. That's right. Chase farms, right? The, you know, wolf run. Uh, uh, and you can go, uh, you know, just on the web, you can just, and, and I did this yesterday, again, That's just so to good. remind myself, uh, uh, you know, the, you know uh, subdivision names in Wake County. So and good. it's <laughs> quite remarkable. And so, and then there's ones that are vaguely or quite explicitly English sounding. Mm. Uh, and they come in, in all sorts of different forms, the latter. But, you know, for the first one, right, you know, Birch Ridge, things like that, you know, people have, have often quipped that, that they're named after what got destroyed, mm. right? There's no ridge anymore, and the birches were all cut down, <laughs> right? And there's no fox run because the foxes were, you know, were, were driven off yes. and, and so forth, right? Uh, and... Um, but then what's with these English names, right? And you often get names, you know, they're, they're either, uh, you know, they're named after, you know, English towns, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You get Staffordshire, yeah. and, and, uh, and I found, yesterday I found a constellation around cities such as Oxford and Cambridge, mm. uh, and, and I know why that is. <laughs> um, and then you get ones that have, in uh, addition, to the, the word, these are kind of portmanteau mm. uh, titles, you know, yes. two opposing words. You get wick, uh, pressed wick, yes. right? Yes. Well, the pressed wick, what's that got to do with Wake County? Yes. Well, you know, wick is an old English name for farm. Mm. You get park. How many, you know, That's right. the, the subdivisions are named park? That's right. That's right. Well, That's right. parks were actually designated in, uh, in, in, in England, uh, you know, during the aristocratic eras, as uh, those were the hunting lands mm. of the private estates. Reserves were typical, uh, were mm. also a similar term. And so you get subdivision, Drayton's Reserve. Mm. Um, often, by the way, uh, they're, they're misspelled too because they're never possessive, right? It's yes, Drayton's, yes, yes, yes. as in there's multiple Drayton's yes. out there. Um, <laughs> Uh, then you get things like grant, mm -hmm. right? You know, grant was the granting of land tenure mm. during a time when, uh, you know, uh, when uh, other than the aristocracy, uh, people couldn't own land. That's right. All held That's by right. the landed gentry. That's right. So you get all these different words, keep and manor and hall. Manor and hall refer to aristocratic wow. estates. And you say, why is that important to wow. us? And um, I actually lectured about this years ago. We were doing a project at Wake County, and I gave a talk at a public meeting in Wake Forest, and I kind of quipped about this, and at the uh, during a break, a, yes. a home builder came up and he goes, you're so right. You know how we used to choose these names? I would get out a map of England and wow. blindly go and put my finger. Wow. And we say, oh, that sounds good. Wow. So, but then you think, where does that come from? Okay, so in the book, I actually trace this from, uh, from late Republic, early Imperial Rome and the, the whole notion of suburban villas. What, but, and... 
how it develops into the uh, you know suburban retreats of mm. Renaissance Italy mm. and in, in particularly the writings of Palladio. Yes, Palladian estates. You know the most most important is the Villa Rotunda mm. uh, in Vicenza, uh, outside of Vicenza, and uh, which was a country pavilion. Mm. It it. It overlooked what looked like farmland, but it wasn't a working farm. It was a place for weekend parties to gotcha. withdraw to the country. Mm. And this is all in Italian literature. Yes. And the benefits of getting into nature, escaping from the city, and restoring your soul. Mm. Well, Palladianism, Palladianism as a style comes to England. Uh, and in what's known as Georgian architecture. Uh, and it becomes you. the predominant choice of the aristocracy uh, who led lives that were divided between the city and the country. Mm. They had their city abode, but they had their country estates. Uh, and they're all famous. You know, you yes. can do all of the English heritage with Blenheim Palace, Castle Howard, all these, you know, these are all family, some quite palatial family estates. Hmm. And so they would do their business in the city, hmm. but then it's out to the country for wow. the hunting parties, the uh, the cultured events, you know, wow. and the parties were always part of you know, the, the, the connoisseurship wow. of the aristocracy. And their houses reflected that. Probably that. the most important, uh, most well-known is Storehead in yes. Wiltshire down in southwestern England, uh, which had a whole uh, extensive gardens with all classical scenes. And so this is, this is an erudite wow. and uh, educated uh, uh, class yes. who are clearly demonstrating mm. their culture I and class you. standing. I got you. So what happens next though is that in the 17th and 18th century, a new class, so to speak, mm. Arise, and this is the mercantile class. Gotcha. And they don't depend on peerage. They don't depend on aristocratic lines. Yes. They are self-made men, uh, right? And there's philosophy being written at that time yes. that starts to support this too. Gotcha. This whole, you know, enlightenment ideal of the autonomy of the individual and so forth. And so suddenly they have money. Mm. And they have the ability to build their own houses. And there's certain key laws that get passed because they're also politicians. That's right. That's right. And so they start building their own country uh, estates. So what they do is they appropriate the power symbols of the aristocracy. Wow. And at first they do you know, commute on the weekends, yes. and they can do this because now there's new transportation technologies mm. as in improved carriages. That's right. And, but then you start to get planned communities mm. in which the ideal of suburban living and the, uh, the, the trappings or expressions of, of wealth and position in society coalesce. That's and this turns into a religious movement. The, mm. the English evangelicals, 
fascinating group. Yeah. Uh, who actually became known for being the loudest and in many ways most effective opponent opponents of the slave trade. Mm. Um, they also had very specific ideas yes. about family. Yes. And how the family uh, is really should be centered on the home mm. and that its religious life was in the hands of the of the wife, yeah, yeah, who took care of the home and ministered to wow. the sacrality of the house. And so, what you happen a very early English suburb is in Clapham. It was eighteen miles from London. The men could go back and forth to the city. They did their business. There were politicians and so forth. The wife stayed home. You know, to mind the kids and keep the family hearth going and so forth. That's a big change. Before that, classes mingled freely yes. in London. Yes. Women had much more autonomy. Yes. And you know, there was uh, not this separation between work and home mm. and between city and country. And that's mm. the first suburbs try to reconcile, you know, these 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 opposing elements of, of city and in country. And the evangelicals were quite clear. The city was an evil place. Mm. It was dirty and evil temptations that men could resist, wow. but women not really so good. much so. Right. Really so you get this. Wow. And this this is the ideal of the self-made yes. man, yes. right? And this comes to America as uh, you know, it's 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 Anglo-American culture, and really so good. you have the early suburbs, yes. right, that start to emulate these country estates and really early uh, uh, subdivisions or or suburban developments in, in England. A uh, very early one, mid-19th century, was in Llewellyn in Orange, New Jersey. Mm. Uh, so what do you get? You get curvilinear streets. Wow. You get houses set along these streets, placed in such a way that it looks like it's just one house. Yeah. <laughs> you have a gate, and a gated entry with a guardhouse. <laughs> Uh, it's all very country and bucolic. What does it look like? It looks like a country estate, wow. including the, the guardhouse, mm. right? And with a Scottish, you know, yes. sounding name. Yes. Uh, and uh, then we get the post-war and all the government support for single-family home ownership, particularly for the returning veterans, uh, and you get your first Levittowns, the first one in yes. Hicksville, Long Island, 17,000 units built. And, you know, they aimed for what draws so heavily from, from its English precedents of a homogenous community set outside of the city mm. where a family could raise their children untainted by you know all the messiness of work and city and mm -hmm. so forth mm -hmm. and also as described by the developers that reflected and supported American ideals and American democracy. Wow. Uh, you know, Abraham Levitt, the, the, the developer, said, you know, it's, it, 
a man, you know, this is this is a bulwark against communism because if a man, you know, is a man, right, yes, is yes. focused on his house and his community, he's not going to be thinking about other things. Right. Now, it just so happened in that quest for homogeneity and control, yes. uh, 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 black owners, yeah. Jewish owners right. were forbidden from, from buying that's into right. this. And that's been part of the legacy of suburbia as well. Mm. So a long winding path, not all of it are directly causal, but you, you know, from that point on, this whole notion of planned unit development really and, um, and, and subdivisions that mimic and express that pedigreed, so good. right, that yeah. pedigreed uh, uh, status of owning one's own house wow. in what we actually literally call prestige communities. Wow. You know, you know what's you know what's amazing? I mean, first you were able to walk through that history without <laughs> without notes. <laughs> but but I I remember the first time my eyes were, were open to the built environment of homes. And I I, I became friends with a, a designer architect. And he began to show quality construction that had meaning, position, the size of the windows, the catching of the, the sun going up, the catching of the sun going. I would have never. Yeah. The, the, if it's it was north, was south, was east, I just subconsciously was like, oh, that's nice. Or that's not nice. But I couldn't tell right. you why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I couldn't exactly. give you. Yeah. And, and he began to walk me through the names of rooms, master bedroom. Yeah, like, like yes. he, he began to like. Uh, by the way, the master's <laughs> bedroom. Wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I just in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm looking for the master. I mean, no yeah. question of terms, no question of the home quality. But it was when I met somebody who deliberately in this space consumes sort of what the built environment should be and how it allows for the human to respond in that space. But what I found early, Tommy, and you talked through it in this in your journey, and I want to move it to a contemporary conversation, how a home still indicates class. Right down to this day, it still indicates the same thing. Yeah. Usually if you're talking about policy, it's when one class is going to be built by another class. And normally, normally you get an explosion of, uh, yeah. of concerns. Yeah. But what I'm hearing now is not just class, but I'm also hearing density. How should we understand density now in this conversation where home once meant, you know, out, away from downtown. Now people want to be in downtown. They want this density. They want access to, they want to, they want to blur the lines of work and play now. How should we understand the contemporary arm wrestle between affordability, access to homes, reduced space, and class? I know that's a lot yeah. of variables. Yeah, it is. And and they're, they're uh, it, it of course is is complicated mm -hmm. and can be uh, can be quite situational. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we always have to kind of situate our understanding 
of a particular conflict or expressions of opinion, uh, you know, within its in its setting. However, on the other hand, as I've you know just talked about, there are you know there are a lot of underlying forces, mm -hmm. recognized or not, that drive our passions around our house mm -hmm. and our so-called communities, sure. right? You know, I already observed that the, the early American suburbs sought a homogeneity, mm -hmm. right? And a, uh, this, this notion of, you know, a quiet and peaceful place yes. in which one's soul could be restored. Mm -hmm. That's what Palladio was writing I about. I That's what the English were writing about. I get you. Um, and uh, you know, and there's, there's even uh, there's a Ben Jonson, the English poet, uh, wrote this called To Penshurst, mm. and in which he extols the virtue of a country estate of of the aristocracy mm. as a paradigm of English culture. And a, a cornerstone of its stability. Wow. Right? See, this is this is deeply embedded That's in cool. our culture. And so, on one hand, it is, you know, there's this notion of you start to destroy this, and you're going to destroy our culture. It's somewhere That's underneath cool. that, That's and cool. I and I really do I really do believe that. The other thing, you know, how often do you hear, you know, the uh, worries about traffic mm. and parking? <laughs> They're noisy. They're disruptive. Mm -hmm. um, you, when I was campaigning to uh, make um, accessory dwelling units yeah. uh, legal, which uh, thankfully they are now, how many public meetings did people say, this is going to ruin our communities, mm. so-called. We are going to have. Oh, I remember. I was. I ran this as a graduate design studio at first, mm -hmm. and I had this wonderful group. There were eleven graduate students, and I'd be in public meetings, and literally more than once, someone said, "There's going to be a bunch of college students living mm. in them," and uh, and I know at least once I paused and said, "You mean like?" These students, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, I used to give. I'd give slideshows, right, where I'd try to get people laughing. Not all of them laughed at this one. Where I said, "This is what you think you're going to get," and I'd show a picture of John Belushi holding, <laughs> you know, a, a, a bottle of whiskey from from Animal House, right? And then, and I, and then I said, "This is more what you're going to get," and I'd show a, you know, a, a fireman holding a cat and a nurse, you know, taking care of somebody in the hospital. I said, "This is what you're going to get." Um, so there's there's that. It's like this is going to disrupt. We are going to be out of control. Right? We are losing control of our communities. How many times have we heard that? Yeah. And yeah. Um, and and of course, they're what's being said is they're losing control of what they consider to be, right? Mm. right? You know, it's all about them, right? That's good. And That's then, good. of course, there is, there is, um, and these, I mean, it, we could talk for a long time about all these components, but that's why it's so fraught, and yeah, people yeah. can get so angry, yeah. so intractable, 
and say the silliest things. It is a well-known fact, of course, that the biggest investment that uh, that Americans will make is in their house. Mm. And that rates of home ownership in America are, uh, you know, are quite high, you know, 60 to 70 percent. Mm. Um, and that it, for many people, it is their retirement policy. Mm. Because we don't, we don't have a strong social safety yeah. net in yeah. this country. Yeah. It's really left open to individuals yeah. to build their own wealth. Yeah. And that's not always so bad, of course, a very entrepreneurial, yeah. progressive culture. But the house has become uh, this stabilizing mm. element either perceived or very real in terms of economics. Uh, and, uh, and if that gets threatened, then not only does one feel like you know, their, you know, their investment is threatened, they are being personally attacked. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I'm glad that you, you, you landed there because that's really what I wanted to get to. Like from all that history to now it's a personal engagement. So this is my last question. The, the, why does homes and home ownership dominate local conversation? So much goes on. We have schools. We have <laughs> we have places where you can go and dine, and we have groceries. We have parks, but the home. It seems like the conversation hovers around the home when there's so much complexity to local governance. The home seems to be the the element that dominates all conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, there's a there's a, for all of the reasons I've already outlined, but I'll add another one, and I think that. Deep down inside, we're conflicted. We actually are unsure as in American culture at this time as to what should we, you know, what should we do about house and home, right? We clearly have a housing crisis, and that is what has catapulted it, tossed it onto the stage. That has precipitated that. But we're we're unclear about what we're supposed to do about it, right? In other ways, we don't have the lack of clarity around other types of communal enterprises that we we do, right? We, you know, there are fights around roads and so forth, but ultimately, I, you know. We, we build our big roads and so forth. We invest heavily in them, right? We pay a lot, yes. right, individually, both at the gas pump and through other uh, means to support that infrastructure, yes. right? There's a lot of things that we communally have more or less agreed to, yes. uh, you know, to be part of, to fund. Housing is confusing to us because it's in American culture. It's so autonomous, mm. right? This is you're a self-made man. You find your own house, mm, right? You get to work and get that house, that's right? Good. But on the other hand, it's saying no. Housing should be seen as a, you know as as either a human right or as a public service. Really Europe gets that more. They see more yeah. housing as a public service like public transportation, gotcha. as uh, guaranteed health care, and so forth. Yes. But we're confused. Right, that's good. And when that's you good. get confused, all sorts of confusing things happen. 
Now, and, and again, Dr. Barry, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure walking through this journey because it, it, I now see why we have the, the titles of home, home divisions, why we have housing types, names of different regions of cities and, 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 and counties. Um, and so with that, how do individuals find access to your book, House and Home, and how do they find your research? Um, I know you're at NC State University, but how, where can they find you? What platform can they find you? Well, yes, I mean, you know, the, the, the wonderful thing, of course, by the internet is uh, how often we say that, just Google me, <laughs> right? Um, but I, you know, and my faculty page at NC State, I invite people to, to visit that because that has a whole lot of hot links to sure. take you to uh, my areas of research, you know, it lists the, the books that I've written uh, and, and so forth. Uh, so you can find out a lot about me and my research there. Uh, you can also Google the Affordable Housing and Sustainable Communities Initiative at NC State, and you will see a lot of content on that on that website, including a excerpted um, uh, essay on the route from uh, uh, late Republic, early Imperial Rome to the American suburb. Yeah. Uh, so you can all uh, read that. And of course, um, uh, it's outlined much more substantively in the book that you mentioned, House and Home, Cultural Context, Ontological Roles. Thank you again. And, the, and for those who are listening and, and observing this podcast, and you've always wondered why do people get so animated around homes? Um, Dr. Barry just took you through a billboard version of that, and in his book, you can get a more in-depth. But again, this podcast, Illogical, is supposed to help you make sense of local government, help you make sense of your local environment, and hopefully this has allowed you to take a glimpse into um, the confusion around homes and the energy that it provides in your local context. So thank you again for listening. Thank you, Dr. Barry, for being a part of the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Illogical by Truth Podcast. This episode was edited and produced by Airfluence. I am Terrence Roof, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.